afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman. That's the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program's designed for someone just like me because there's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't necessarily be something that's soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bugging me for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep theological chapter and verse type discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style talk with the pastor's the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Now, today's guest pastor is Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Christian Church, Lutheran Church, excuse me, out in Hacienda Heights, California. I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. Now, you can send your questions by email at any time to Let's Talk at KFUO.org or call in the program if you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East. That's area code 314-821-0850 or anywhere in the lower 48, toll free at 1-800-730-2727. Welcome to the front porch, Bill. And yes, Lutherans are Christians. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking. I think as of the last time I looked at the signboard in front of our church, we're still Holy Trinity Lutheran Church with an LCMS designation. I, I just hastened to point that out. Well, it's a good thing to know. Yes. Yeah. How are you, Kip? Ah, still recovering from the convention. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen you. My voice is back. I, that, that, uh, that 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 Betty Davis voice was only that. That only takes you so far in radio. I you understand. Kinda, you know, so. Yeah, well, it was. It, it's kind of funny because in 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 radio, uh, especially this type of radio, we often don't actually meet face to face the people we're talking to. No. And this was the first time you and I actually met. Yeah, that's that's true, and and you you were nothing like um, what I imagined from your voice you would be like. That's always the case. Authors have that problem: the actual author and the implied author. People read books, and then they finally meet an author at a book signing, and say, "Oh, uh-huh. nothing like what I thought you looked like." And and that's kind of the same thing in radio. I'm sure you're you're a radio professional. You you probably have known this all your career that everybody says that all the time. You don't look anything like your voice. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I I'd like to say that I'm I'm much taller on radio. I must admit, Bill, you're a little bit shorter than I expected, <laughs> and getting shorter all the time. I mean, I, I, I used to be. You know, you, you always kind of like guys always, <laughs> women always kind of shade their height a little less unless they're short. Uh, men always try to boost their height a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, than it is. And, and, and I'm noticing my horror, you know, I go in for my annual physical and then they, they do that thing where they, they, it's got this thing that like sits on top of your head. And yeah. Right. It's kind of, you kind of feel like when you were five years old and they were measuring you against the door, <laughs> you get, the yeah, door jam. Get up your, and, te- on your toes. And it's like an inch lower. I thought, what the heck? You know, it's like, no, just no. Uh, and it, it it does it's kind of conflicting because I always take my shoes off when they weigh me mm-hmm. because shoes weigh and I I'm 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 angling for every pound okay I, I'm just bargaining for every pound but then if you take your shoes off then you're shorter too so I'm conflicted strangely at this point. <laughs> well, uh, you know I'm I'm six foot two and the funny thing is is I'm the smallest man in my family. Wow. Okay, so you got the giant genes going on. Yeah. It's yeah. Up, I'm, yeah. We come from rather average height people, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I tend to, I have sort of the body type and all the strange, uh, or all the, you know, what I call the health uh, jokers of my dad. So, uh, and, you know, that puts me in the 5'10 and shrinking range, you know. Mm-hmm. I used to be able to pass off at 5'11, no more, uh-uh, no. So, <laughs> so I'm just going to be a short old guy one of these days. I think it's probably happening to me. I think they've shrunk a little bit. 
Yeah. No, your spine collapses. That's the problem. Oh, joy. That's what the pain is. Gravity. We're fighting gravity ever <laughs> since we decided to stand upright. <laughs> you know, no one ever told me that growing older was going to hurt this much. Oh, man. Yeah. Tell me about it. Okay. Before we, before we settle into grumpy old guy <laughs> routine. Yeah. It was a pleasure to meet you at the convention. Uh, you had a nice table there and all kinds of people are going, coming by to distract us. Uh, fortunately, we were on tape and not actually live. So that was good. <laughs> tape is an anachronism. We weren't being That's taped. true. It's all digital. We're digitally recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyway, we still say that, don't we? Well, I suppose we ought to get down to business, huh? Let's do that. What do you want to talk about? Well, actually, I want to talk about uh, something. I've received an email from a gentleman named uh, Wayne Berenger, mm. and uh, he actually had a question about the Canadian uh, Lutheran Church. Oh. Which is our, our as you know, they're in uh, full uh, altar and pulpit fellowship with us. <laughs> I, I'll spit that out. I'm a professional our, broadcaster. Our delightful, okay. our delightful brothers and sisters up north. They, they are a great bunch. I I, yeah. I I get up there. Yeah, I try to get up there about once a year or so. But then I've done some uh, preaching conferences in Saskatchewan, and just just lovely, lovely people. I've always enjoyed uh, their 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 company and drinking their rye whiskey. So it's it's, uh, it's yeah. Hey, you got to stay warm up there. Yeah, although rye whiskey makes me stupid. So. Hey, well, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Got it. well, what what the uh, this gentleman did was he he sent to me an eight page uh, paper by the uh, Canadians explaining about uh, about cremation and he wanted to know what it meant in English. Now, also, I downloaded what we've it got. It wasn't written in English. It was lit- it was written in uh, in uh, Theocrates. Oh. oh th- <laughs> <laughs> Theocrates, yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. This it's a it's a um, it's also, a side language to weasel ease. <laughs> almost as bad as lawyers sometimes. Which, you know? Well, that's that's lawyer ease, but weasel ease is the language of of politics and gov- uh, of government and business. <laughs> but yeah, th- uh, you know, yeah, th- theologies is uh, is a uh, yeah. It's, it's almost inscrutable at times. Well, I've read both that document and then I've also checked with the LCMS uh-huh. and uh, our official position. LCMS says that we have no official position on cremation. <laughs> well, what? We haven't gotten around to that one yet. Huh? We will. Give us time. Yeah, uh, eventually. No. And there we is love some, official positions. Yeah. And there is some controversy on that. And, and uh, going over the official position here and reading what the Canadians have to say. The Canadians don't like it, but they don't say it's absolutely forbidden. However... One common theme through all this is, uh, especially with the with the uh, with us more than with the Canadians, is uh, how do you dispose of the ashes? Now yeah. that's a, a deep concern. That's a and that's that's uh, you know we can, we'll get to we'll kind of wander onto that, but uh, that's that's really I think where the some critical questions do lie. But it's uh, a good question. Yeah. Well, let's let's examine that a little bit, and I'm going to yeah. give you a couple of uh, for instances in my particular family, my my case that I'm probably applicable here uh both of my parents had been cremated uh-huh. and they are in urns at my brother's house out in new mexico uh now i have made arrangements for them to be in uh interred eventually at jefferson barracks my dad's a veteran so he's entitled to do that but so far we haven't done it and it's been my parents passed away some 20 years ago now my wife died, as you know, and she was cremated, and I had her ashes scattered at sea. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, so we can talk about that. Yeah. And- um, yeah, and as a pastor, I, I have to um, I have to navigate through a variety of circumstances. Uh, very often, uh, people's 
what people desire for their funerals and their burials are not known to me, even though I like to know them. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. People be very specific about what they want sung or not sung at their funeral, uh, but they don't tell you much else. And, and if you, you know, pry too much, it becomes a kind of none of your business moment. So, or, uh, even more so, you discover these things after the fact when, um, you know, the, Children, the family are plan- planning mom's or grandma's funeral, and we discover what mom's real wishes were, which nobody ever knew until they opened the will or whatever. So, you know, there's all kinds of things. But, yeah, I've had to navigate uh, navigate those waters. Uh, it's uh, As pastors, it's always easier if you can talk to uh, the people who are your members and uh, really approach your death with intentionality. There, back in the mid- Middle Ages, there was a whole thing called the Ars Moriendi, the art of dying where you, you, you embraced your own mortality, you recognized you were going to die, and you planned accordingly, right down to what you wanted your last words, your epitaph to be. Uh, so like Luther's, you know, we're all beggars, this is true. Uh, probably didn't say that, but it was written on his nightstand. It was written as a note, because that, that's what he wanted as his, his final words. So, but people approach their death very intentionally. And uh, and so these days it seems like, you know, whoa, I didn't expect that to happen. Uh, so <laughs> uh, we, we have we have a lot of work to do in that regard. We're a very death denying culture. See, so we don't really want to kind of. Go oh, there. I understand that my wife flatly refused to discuss the fact of, of passing oh, yeah. away. Yeah, even even like like things like a will, you know, people are squeamish about, oh, well, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to, you know, hey, you got to think about it because otherwise your stuff's going to probate court. Okay, so, you know, embracing your mortality is a good thing. Dust we are, to dust we return, and from the dust Christ will raise us. So this is all good. But, um, you know, it's a reality. It's a reality of being born. Well, you're going to die. And, and the question is, what kind of confession are we going to make in our death? What are we going to leave? What's our, what's our spiritual legacy? What are we going to, what are we going to leave as our testimony, our epitaph, our last word to the world, uh, when we take our dying breath and when, uh, when people mourn and grieve and celebrate and whatever else we do at a funeral? So those are kind of the, the questions there. I have read the Canadian statement from the Canadian, uh, CTCR and, uh, I, I was giving some seminars on the art of dying many years ago. That's why I can conjure this up so quickly. And that uh, issue came up, the issue of cremation. And we have some writers and some thinkers also in the Missouri Synod who have strong opinions about um, cremation and its propriety for Christians and whatnot. So it's kind of a it's a it's a, a rich area. One, one thing I would point out before we launch into anything is that, you know, um, not everybody gets to be buried and or sometimes they get buried in unusual circumstances. I was watching a PBS show last night on the sinking and the recovery, not the recovery, but the finding of the uh, warship Indianapolis, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Which was sunk uh, on its way to the Philippines in World War Two. Yeah. Very uh, tail end of the war. It was the last warship, uh, last American warship yeah, that was sunk. About two years ago, that a very sophisticated uh, exploratory group headed by the um, then CEO of uh, Microsoft, um, the finance. Oh, that was uh, Paul Paul Allen. No, yeah, kind of his hobby. He does these deep these deep water exploration things, but he's got some really high end equipment, and they found it and they explored it without touching it. But they spoke with hushed reverence that this was a sacred site. This was a burial site that hundreds of sailors. Uh, we're entombed there. And I'm reminded, you know, that we have burials at sea. 
Uh, we may one day have a burial in space. Who knows? Uh, we have burials by unforeseen circumstances, like all the people who died uh, at the collapse of the Twin Towers. Uh, and, and the reverence with which just simply the material from the Twin Towers was handled because there was a recognition that uh, people died there and their bodies were never recovered. Uh, or any such uh, site like that. There are people in, in war that are, whose bodies are never recovered too. So sometimes the circumstances of our burial are way beyond our control. Well, I think the Canadians acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what they had issue with was the intentional cremation, saying, I think quite, quite uh, correctly, that this is not, it does not have Christian roots. Uh, yes and no. Okay. If I may beg to differ. Um, I, and maybe we should cut to the chase. We'll go to the center and then wander around the center sometime. That way we, we'll get to the point if we run out of time. Sounds good. Uh, cremation, first of all, is a modern practice. Uh, it, it, it wasn't until you could get a very hot oven that you could actually burn a body. Um, because uh, the old funeral pyres, either of uh, Hindu origins or uh, there was a law in France, I think it was in the 17th or 18th century even, that bodies that washed ashore had to be burned um, because of health reasons. They were, they were concerned about uh, health, so the bodies had to be destroyed by fire. But funeral pyres in general, wood fires where you put the body on, were such horrid experiences for onlookers that people actually begged to be buried. They did not want to be dealt with that way. They were horrible because the human body is about 80% water. It doesn't burn really well. And so until we could, uh, until we had the modern furnace that could be really, cr I don't know what the temperature is, but I think it's pretty hot. Uh, we couldn't really, uh, we couldn't really reduce the body to ash the way we can now. And even then bones do not burn. Uh, they are pulverized. So what you get uh, when the cremains, a word that I hate, uh, when the cremated remains are returned is you get um, a container with ash and ground up bone. They just kind of grind everything so that it becomes an ash. But even then, it's not completely ground. I know it's unpalatable, but hey, uh, becoming worm food in the ground is no, is no better. So. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's a modern practice. It Now it has ancient uh, and indeed pagan connotations, especially in the Eastern religions where the soul... Um, is said to be imprisoned by the body, and, and so we have to destroy the body to liberate the soul. So uh, that's one of the reasons that Hindus uh, cremate, is, is the body must be destroyed so that the soul can be, can be liberated from its confines of the body. This is clearly not Christian or biblical anthropology, you know, where body and breath are united. And we also, as Christians, believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So, um, you know, that's where I think the uneasiness comes in. But the actual method of, I hate this word, disposal of the body, um, that's a little less specified. Okay. And uh, I would point out in the Bible that uh, you go back to Genesis and the patriarchs Jacob and Joseph who lived in Egypt, uh, they actually uh, were embalmed by Egyptian embalmers. Uh, now, embalming was a religious thing. That had to do with the, the Egyptian view of eternal life and, and how we carried on in the life thereafter. Um, and uh, Joseph and Jacob specified that their bodies be embalmed, not because they had gone Egyptian, 
but because they wanted their bodies taken back to Canaan, the promised land, in order to be buried at the patriarchal tomb of Abraham. See, so the only way to do that was to embalm. So it was actually a practical matter. So, you know, when you make the religious argument, you have to recognize that a lot of times burial practices have practical matters with no religious or spiritual content associated with them. It, that's true, and and you know, the the Canadian uh, document also talks about the financial aspect. They they deny that funerals are uh, the burials are that expensive, which I, I strongly disagree with. Mm. And that is a factor. That, you know, you hate funeral, to say it, but it is a factor. We're on broadcast radio. I'll be careful, but you know, the funeral industry sometimes capitalizes on the grief and the. Uh, very deep emotions that are associated with the death of loved ones. Um, you know, I mean, if we're going to use the argument of, you know, practices, the practice of embalming is very questionable. But then again, uh, unless you're going to bury within 24 hours, uh, you just about have to. Again, it's practical. It's pragmatic. Is there anything natural about it? No, I won't describe the process. I know it. But there's nothing natural about it at all. So I think we have to kind of cool our jets on some of these pragmatics. Where I would focus as a pastor, where I do focus, pastorally speaking, is two things. One, the practice of scattering bothers me deeply. Um, because there's a kind of a sort of a popular Gnostic notion that all we are is dust in the wind you know and it's kind of i'm not saying the person can't be resurrected uh, that's ridiculous um in fact you and i are not the same molecules and elements that we were five years ago you know we do recycle even as we go uh that's kind of a weird thought isn't it it is i remember but, learning about that back in school yeah you're not the same stuff that you were before but I, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to be careful that. here. I, I, no, that's that's bothering me to even think about. But but that reminds us that our existence, our being, is much more than our biology and our chemistry and our our elemental composition. You know, being is a uh, that's something. You know, our being is in Christ, uh, and so there's something really uh, beyond that. But not to the exclusion of it, and that's that's where we don't want to go. Um, and so there's kind of this notion that, you know, we're nothing, the body is nothing. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the abiding place of Christ and the Father in our life and history, in our earthly existence. And just as we always treat sacred vessels with honor, we should be treating this sacred vessels, uh, you know, that is fearfully and wonderfully made a gift of God with the honor and dignity that it deserves. So I, I think, kind of I think one of the things we're looking at here, Bill, is whether or not a grave is actually required. You know, the, the Bible speaks of the resurrection of the body, and, mm -hmm. you know, graves have an enormous uh, impact in Christian theology. They do, and and I was the the one time I did a burial at sea, I, I I noted that the captain of the ship specified the GPS coordinates where we were. So location, location, location. It's important. There's something uh, very important for the loved ones to know where their loved one has been buried, even if it's a GPS location in the Pacific Ocean. I have got that. I mentioned you know, my wife's ashes were scattered at sea, and I've got that location. Yes, and I, I would be surprised if they didn't do that. 
that with the Navy when there's a burial at sea as well. So, you know, all of these things that reminds us that we left footprints upon this earth in our time through Kronos and our our, you know, our time in this earthly life. We left footprints and therefore um, you know, we have a location. There's a place. I think a a location is important for loved ones. I do draw some, some. You know, I don't know if it's comfort, but I draw something from visiting the 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 grave of my father, my grandfather, my people. You know, there there's a reason why Joseph and Jacob wanted to be buried with their fathers and with Abraham. Uh, you know, and it's it's. I I think there's something important to that, and when we just kind of like do like they did in the Big Lebowski when they scattered Donnie to the wind and forgot about blowbacks or who was covered with ash. Um, <laughs> we're kind of like denying that this person ever left a footprint. I, I, I just, it, it bothers me. As a pastor, I won't scatter. Um, uh, this the one thing I do ask uh, is, is that uh, these remains be buried, uh, that there, there be a location. And by all means, do not take grandma for christmas at the cabin in the mountains or um but that reminds me i still have like the cremated remains of one of my cats on the bookcase i keep forgetting to bury them but but that's another story and um don't make like a signet ring i've seen that you know you can take some of the ashes oh and yeah pressed into a diamond or something i knew you a know? woman when i was at a newspaper she was well uh, work she was one of the people who was working in the composing room and her son had died and he was cremated and she kept some of her his ashes at a necklace yes yeah no the uh, amulet something like that now having said that they did this in luther's day too i mean they had a lot of practices like the death mask when you died they they took an impression of your face that's when, uh, how we know how luther looked when he died uh they also it was very common i i heard or i i saw a thing on the assassination of lincoln and it was very common to um snip hair there's lots of amulets of lincoln's hair floating around uh, because this was a very common practice that when somebody died, especially important or famous, uh, but even just near and dear to you, that they would keep a lock of their hair or something like that. It's kind of like a relic, uh, probably not unrelated to the reliquaries of, uh, you know, even ancient Christianity. Who knows? So <laughs> even there, um, as a pastor, I'm actually much more interested in what's going on with your spiritual life and thinking than the details of uh, your burial or things like that. And that's where I think we can sometimes get uh, hung up on externals and not get to the, the true internals, the things yeah. that, that really matter in terms of faith and life. Well, I really learned about um, about preparing from, from the, the chaos that was left following my wife's death. It is chaotic, too. Oh, it was horrible, absolutely horrible. And I am swore I'm not going to have that happen with my family. So one of the things I've done... well. Part of it is, you know, because I did spend part of my career in newspapers as well as uh, broadcast. And one of the first things you always do at a newspaper is the editor makes you write your own obit. Hmm. <laughs> Which is kind of a cute little thing. So I've got that done. I've selected what picture I want printed for my obituary. Uh, I have, I'm an organ donor, so I'm... Yeah, so am I. Yeah, so I'm going to let them take... Uh, <clears throat> you know, it's not my body, it's God's. You know, and somebody else can, can use it, fine. They could take some other parts. I don't care. I figure if any of those parts are still working, you know, go <laughs> yeah, for right. it. I don't want them to touch my liver, though. That's going to be bad. Oh, no, no, that, that's toxic. <laughs> They're going to have a hazmat crew take that away. And I have said I do want to be cremated. Now, this will sound bizarre, <laughs> but... You know, my family's out in New Mexico now, and whenever I go out there, uh, 
I, I visit with my one nephew, and he's the guy we go target shooting together. And there's this uh, wonderful bar out there called the uh, the Lazy Lizard, and it's uh, craft beer and what have you. And he and I have hoisted a few there. And what I want to happen is that after they take away the organs and they cremate remains, they give him the urn, and I want him to have it displayed in the bar. The, the <laughs> argument oh, are, being are that serious? just because I'm dead doesn't mean I can't share a drink with my nephew. <laughs> See, you're doing that thing I said don't do. <laughs> no, 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 no. Now, if you want to be buried on the grounds, I'm sure you could arrange it. I think that's kind of cool. But no, you know what? Don't you don't want to be an urn up on the bar? First of all, it's a bummer. We don't need that. Second of all, you know you're you're eating and drinking in the feast that has no end. In the <laughs> of which those fond memories at that bar are only kind of a very dim inkling of what's to come. So uh, may I counsel against that? That's just not a good idea. And sooner or later, somebody's going to knock you over. It's going to happen. Some drunk is going to knock you over, and then they're going to sweep you up, and you know. Just no. Uh, See, you know, here's how important location is. So I've got I've got Seymour the cat, you know, and and he's in a this nice little box, and I just tucked him in my bookcase and forgot about him. Um, I had promised him before he died, and this is a cat now, so not a person. Um, that I was going to bury him. under this lilac bush that he liked outside. And then we decided, ah, nah, we're not going to do that. And, and so we decided we're just going to take him along. And, and, you know, when we settle in in retirement somewhere, we'll give Seymour a resting spot that we think he would like. But, but see how I, this is a cat. This is an animal that I'm thinking about. And I'm still thinking that way. How much more? A child, you know, a, 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 a temple of the Holy Spirit, a child of God, <laughs> fearfully, wonderfully made. Oh. No shelves on the bar, Kip, okay? I mean, okay. I will come, I will go there and, and, and remove you. Okay. okay. I love that. Oh, yeah, please share all the email that comes in after this episode. Okay. Just, just, you know. yeah. And I'm so happy I'm not the one saying stuff like that. Uh, well, I thought it would make perfect sense. but It makes perfect sense. I get it, but you don't want to do that. Believe me. Okay. Well, Bill, it's the bottom of the hour. I don't know. <laughs> Trying to Where, take a little bit of a... I fo- what do we do to follow that up? You can't. I don't know. That was a, pre- that was a pretty good... Uh... Just a quick thought of this. <laughs> yeah. You know, any time a document from any synodical body says we don't want to bind men's consciences, you know automatically that after you read it, your conscience is going to be bound. It's, it's very hard <laughs> not to give advice or issue guidelines with somehow, <laughs> you know, making somebody feel ashamed or guilty about something. But, it, you know, burial customs are free... But our confession is really important. Our spiritual legacy is really, really important to those around us. Well, I'm not sure we answered that gentleman's question, but we tried. Nope. Okay, well, we will be back in just a couple of minutes, and we've got a lot more to talk about on Let's Talk. The Pastor is In.
LCMS Disaster Response gathers once a year to learn best practices on how to do mercy and respond to natural disasters. We're inviting you to get involved in the conversation. Join us at Concordia Seminary St. Louis from October 2nd through the 4th to hear from pastors, experienced disaster responders, and disaster victims as they share their wisdom and experience from the field. Registration, including meals, is just $50, but seats are limited. For more information, go to lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. Christians can be incredibly closed-minded, but that's a good thing. The Holy Spirit guards Christians' minds from ideas and influences that seek to lure them away from faith in God's Word and promises. Hear a classic message from Dr. Dale Meyer titled, An Open Mind for the Future, this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Oratio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. In a day when numerous concerns about money and safety abound in this fallen world, There is still a beacon of hope in Christ Jesus, spreading the gospel message of mercy. Worldwide, KFUO has been a good steward of donations, ensuring the safety of funds our listener-supported ministry receives. If you have questions about donating to keep this worldwide ministry healthy, send an email to gifts at kfuo.org. Babe Ruth, the most celebrated athlete of his time, led the New York Yankees to seven American League championships and four World Series titles. After a long, successful career, his number three jersey was retired by the Yankees in June of 1948. He died on August 16, with thousands of people lining up outside St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City to pay their respects to the King of SWAT. But did you know, in World War II, President Franklin Roosevelt printed a letter in pocket Bibles given to troops to carry with them into battle, commending the reading of the Bible? A copy of that Bible was discovered with a signature on the page opposite FDR's letter. Babe Ruth, 1942. He pointed to the flagpole in the center field bleachers. Engage with the Bible in the stories surrounding this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. And my guest today is Pastor Bill Swirla from Hacienda Heights in California, the great golden state. And if you want to join our conversation, you're more than welcome. Uh, you can call us in the St. Louis area at 314-8210-850 or toll-free in North America. Actually, the 48, I don't think it goes up to Canada, at 1-800-730-2727. Well, Bill, I think we're having too much fun here with this. Who would have thought that we could have made cremation into a fun topic? <laughs> hey, that's the miracle of radio. I should say the magic of radio. Magic. Magic. Did you say magic? I, we... I, I said, I, oh boy, I'm, I'm stepping in it again, aren't I? It is. It is. This is the danger of working for religious radio. So <laughs> what do you want to talk about in the second half of your show? 
Well, I want to talk about, uh, actually, it was a uh, another, uh, another comment from another listener uh, who's having a very difficult time in, in, in a family situation. Uh, basically, what's happened is that uh, her sister's husband has left her and moved out of the house and said, and said you know, he doesn't love her anymore. In fact, he's never loved her, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they've been trying to trying to do some things, you know, taking counseling in the church, but the the husband's not doing it anymore. And the question is, um, is there any place in Holy Scripture that can lead this man to help him understand that, that Christ loves him, his wife loves him, and that his children love him? Is there some scripture that that, that can give some comfort here? Sorry, I had to deal with a ringing phone there. Um, is there scripture? Yeah, we always, yeah. There's, I mean, scripture is all about Christ's love for us, for that person. Uh, do we hear it? Not necessarily. Do we take it to heart? Mm, not always. Uh, do we see how it applies in our relationships and in our marriage? Even less so. So um, I think there's sometimes a danger with religious people that they think that if we just say the right Bible verse that will make the situation better or change or something like that. But the Bible's not a magic book, and Bible verses don't have magic power. Um, the gospel is the power of God to salvation, and the scriptures are given to make us wise to salvation in Christ. But they don't give us kind of, they're not these little kind of like bullets that we can fire in the right direction, and if they hit, then, you know, everything's going to be right. Um, in fact, I think as, a, as speaking as a pastor, um, usually when I find out that a couple is is having trouble in their marriage, uh, they've already contacted attorneys, or one of them has, and uh, they tend to view marriage counseling or pastoral counseling as just uh, further confirmation that they're doing the right thing by splitting. So it's kind of like too late. Oh boy, that's, that's but, you know, I hate to be I hate to be dire here, but let, let's let's be practical people, okay? You know, first of all, what is marriage? Marriage is a it's a covenant, it's a partnership, and it's built around a mystery. The mystery is that man and woman are one flesh in marriage. This is a great mystery, and it's a reflective of the greater mystery of our union with Christ, Christ in the church, Ephesians chapter five. But the marriage covenant is a it's a it's a it's a compact an agreement between two people, and it serves to protect that one flesh union. But like all covenants, uh, one party or the other party or both parties can just tear it up and say no, no, we don't we don't want that. Doesn't negate the one flesh that that's like always there, but uh, it does until you die. But you can tear up the paper that is the the legal fence around it. And the question is, why wouldn't you do that, you see? And um, I like to think they're, they're kind of like two false solutions to the problem. The one is romance and the other is religion. Is We think that romance will keep us together. So we just have to kindle those fires that we once had when we were young and reckless and dating. Uh, but that doesn't work because we're no longer young, nor reckless, nor dating. We're married. Mm -hmm. and so, in fact, I like to say marriage is the great uh, killer of romance. It's 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 the fire extinguisher to romance. And, and romantic love has to die because marital love is something different. It's trading out arrows for agape. 
uh, this intense passionate desire for the self-sacrificing love that reflects the love of Christ. So, so romance doesn't help, and religion doesn't help either, because because religion's not a a salve that you put on things to to heal. It it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work at all. And sometimes it, you, all it does is it just elevates shame and guilt and and the other things that will enhance uh, a person's feeling trapped. Most people, if 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 it's not about um, abuse. Addiction or adultery, I call those the, th the big three A's. If it's not about those things, uh, people leave marriages because they feel trapped. It's kind of like marital suicide. They feel trapped. They can't fight. They can't, f they, well, they can't fight, so they flee. See, they got tired of fighting, so they flee. So fight or flight mm -hmm. is in play. And as a pastor, I always like try to identify that fight or flight point because that's the trap point. And what if you can't fight or flee? What's your third option? And that's where most people don't really want to go, or they hadn't considered. Well, let, let's, let's go into that a little bit, Bill, because yeah. I think you know we've really touched on a major issue in today's society. Mm -hmm. and, and we have. And that uh, is, you know, the the nature of marriage itself. You know, you hear a lot, especially from the uh, from the uh, the gay community about marriage. The thing is, is that. There are two aspects we're talking about here. One is a civil contract. Mm -hmm. That's why it's called the marriage contract. Yeah, previously arranged between fathers. Yeah, yeah. You negotiated for sheep and bottom land. But basically. that is, yeah. But it's that is strictly a, that is strictly a secular definition. Mm, it's uh, I, I wouldn't I don't go down sacred. Well, secular, but it, it is a temporal pragmatic. It's it's yeah. it's the, it's a temporal kingdom thing. That's true. But marriage is a temporal kingdom thing anyway. Well, I, I, I think it's a step further than that, Bill, because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, again, I will, again, I'm going to go back into my own thing here. Uh, both of my late wife and my current wife, we were both married in civil ceremonies, but then had our marriages blessed in a church. The idea being, at least as but far as... you weren't more married... You weren't like twice married or like married squared. No, no, married. Yeah, right. No, were, it's a the judge. Were, you know, it's a, yeah. And then you were married. You were married, married, even in uh, quote unquote the eyes of God. Well, you were married. We were married in the eyes of the state. No, you married in the state, and and the state is God's eyes in the temporal kingdom. No problem with this. Oh, I don't know. The church doesn't marry people unless you're Roman Catholic. Then they they kind of they they want to add sort of a sacramental layer to it. No, that, I understand that. Yeah, but, no, we but... don't know. We bless, we bless, we extol, we pray, we do all kinds of things, but we don't marry. People marry each other. <laughs> I always tell them that. You know, I when they say, "Oh, pastor, you married us uh, ten years ago," I said, "Hey, I'm only married to one person. I ain't married to you." So I I officiated <laughs> at your wedding. But you married each other. Good line. Other. Good line. You married each other. Own it. Own it. It's your fault. Don't blame me. <laughs> well, you know, there, there is a spiritual aspect to a church blessing that is absent in a in a civil ceremony. Having That's been true. through both, you know, there, I'm, I'm telling you, there, there, there is a something is definitely different. Right. The word of God and prayer, namely. So, yeah, absolutely. But that doesn't make you more married. It's just saying more about marriage than the judge can say. Um. Well, let's go into okay. I'm I'm, I'm going to stick my toe here into some bad waters. Yeah, yeah here we go. I, All I, right, I sense quicksand. You're going to go under real fast. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm here to pull you out. Okay. <laughs> the church says this gay couple is married. Not, pardon me. The the state says this gay couple is married. Uh huh. We know that ain't true. 
Well, here's the thing, is, is that the, the state can say all at once, but the state is not really given to define these things. Um, what the state is uh-huh, actually, my point, my point. What, what the Just, state is actually saying is that this this couple is entitled to all the rights and privileges there to of a married couple, and that's the state's prerogative. They can say that, but they can't define marriage. That's that's not given them. The state, that was you know, my point exactly. The state cannot define marriage. And it the, can and define minority, civil union. Well, a civil union is just, that's a, a, a gussied up way of saying all the rights and privileges there. You're too. right. But it's divorces it from, if, if pardon the expression, it divorces <laughs> it from no, the, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, right, from from the religious aspect of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, not so much religious, it's, it's essence, it's essence, you know, mm. and that's why I was very careful at the outset to say that marriage is a covenant. And, you know, if you look in the Bible, it's not even, it's neither done by, uh, it's not done in the temple. It's not done in the synagogue. It's not done by the king. It's it's negotiated by the fathers. It's it's basically kind of a property deal, um, a special form of property. But it's, it, at, at its at its legal in its legal aspect, marriage is, is a property covenant, um, and and there was literal property associated with it. You had to pay up. You had to bring a dowry. You had there were sheep involved. Let's just put it that way. Um, but the Bible discloses in its essence a mystery, and the mystery is that male and female, following the pattern of Adam and Eve, become in intimacy one flesh, and that, Jesus says, cannot be separated. Uh, so you can, you can go your separate ways legally by way of divorce, but you cannot undo the one fleshness that male-female intimacy creates. Now, therein is the, the, the nub, the rub right there, is that the essence of marriage is the mystery of male and female in intimate union. No other combination can do this, see? And so you can build a fence if you want, but there's nothing inside the fence. And part of the product of that marriage, especially a Christian marriage, mm-hmm is love and what we have here with with the lady here was talking specifically about this was the the sister loves the husband the children love the love the love the father and can he not accept that love maybe not um oh wow no yeah maybe he can't can we do we are we accepting of all love no do we love ourselves you know we have to love our neighbors as ourselves which presumes we love ourselves and mm. that, that, that takes a little doing so you know that's that's tough and love comes in different forms there's eros which is the desire uh for the opposite sex usually uh you know and it's, it's it has its roots in be fruitful and multiply uh there's storge there's the the love that a mother has for her children uh, there's uh, uh, philos, the the love of the brother, you know the, the the you know when I like somebody, my friends, um, and then there's agape, the love that is not actually a feeling but an act of will of laying down one's life for another. I of course exemplified ultimately finally in Christ, uh, but when when somebody says I don't love another person, it usually means I don't desire them. That Eros has died. Could it mean that he doesn't? It was one possibility that he doesn't feel that he deserves it. Could be, could be. Yeah, and here's the problem in divorce. You know, we're, we're always trying to take sides. One of my counsels to somebody who writes a, a note like this is: A, I, I know this is relative. Your sister, your brother-in-law, don't take sides. Um, don't try to fix them. 
don't take sides. Just be quiet to the thing. Um, and love them, love them and pray for them that they, that, you know, that their eyes would be open to the gifts of God that each other is. And you don't have to like each other to stay married. Mm. Um, it's a commitment. It's in sometimes in some days, uh, after many decades, it's, it's basically a very objective commitment. I'm here because I promise to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't like being here. And there's I a, promise to be here. You're right. There's a matter of honor. There's honor. Um, now, what, how good is your word? How good yeah. is your vow? How, how important is your oath? That's right. And, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a great comment at the marriage of his nephew. And he says that uh, love, he says, has brought you to marriage or to the threshold of marriage. And from here on, marriage will sustain and shape your love. I love it. So he inverts it. Mm. So you got married for love and that love will die. That love will die. A few kids, a mortgage, that love will die. But marriage will will nurture and sustain a kind of love that you did not have when you entered into it. One of the things I tell my troubled couples is stick with it and take your problem, whatever it is, and make it a problem, a project, an opportunity to work together. Because whenever male and female work together on something and succeed, uh, there's a great it it, it you know that's that's powerful. That's why you have like in office romances that shouldn't be, or oh. you know affairs in the operating room, no less, because the stakes are high, and it, it's just a it's a it's just an amazing environment. See, so make your problem a mutual project and an opportunity to grow together, and not a wedge between you. Whatever it is, whatever it is, health, money, children. And uh, because I think that when a couple works together towards solving a mutual problem, they grow together. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, that's that's part of it. You know, people don't understand going into marriage exactly how complex it is and how it will change over the years. I know I certainly didn't. Uh, and it's, yeah, you got a point there. You really do. You know, it, I've learned from experience that this is kind of in family or close friends. You know, I've had close friends separate, and it's really hard not to take sides. Oh, yeah. But um, in the best of circumstances, not taking sides, saying to each one of you, I don't understand, and I'm not privy to your personal life. Um, my heart's desire and God's heart's desire is that you, you remain together and remain faithful to your vows. But I'm not going to judge what you're doing, and I love both of you regardless of what you decide. And, but to stay out of it, don't, don't encourage. One thing I've learned as a pastor is uh, usually I always learn to wait for the other shoe to drop because I'm always surprised, you know. Oh, he left her, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, that's, that's not good. And, and then I just kind of wait. Because um, mar- it takes two people to make a marriage. It takes two to break it, too. And, and, um, and so there's always something. There's always, always something. So uh, don't take sides. Pray earnestly. And really pray that, that people come to, you know, repentance means recognition. Mm-hmm. Deep, you know, there's root meeting, metanoia, change of mind, recognition. Pray for recognition, recognition of how loved we are in Christ and a recognition of what a gift the other person is in spite of his or her flaws. And and what a gift this 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 companionship of marriage is. Um, most people get divorced uh, if it's not for the big three. 
Um, if they get divorced, seven or eight years later, they regret that. They have buyer's remorse. Why did we do that? Some actually get together. I know couples who were married, they got divorced, now they're getting married again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have some and friends who've like, done that. You know, gee, you could have saved yourself a few years. of, uh, but, but, you know, they've come to a recognition. They, they're seeing things in a new light. And, and that's what really needs to happen in our day-to-day lives as Christians. We need to see all of our relationships in the light of Christ. We need to see ourselves in the light of Christ. We need to see things in a new light. That's what repentance is, is, is recognizing who we really are in Christ and, and who these other people around us are, our children, our spouses. Well, maybe so. this is part of what, what this lady can do. You know, she, she probably is not ever going to get them back together again, and it's really not her role to do no, that. No, only they can do that. Yeah. They can get back together, you know, some do. Yeah, but I think one thing she can make clear is that this man is loved. And, you know, whether he does anything with that or not, that's out of her control. That, that, there's nothing she can do about that. That's right. And, and, and loved by her, too, you know, in the appropriate and proper way. But, but you know, as, as an in-law, he's, he's family. He's family by oh, yeah. virtue of marriage. And, and he was loved that way, and he still is loved that way. I think one of the problems is when there's a divorce or when there's a separation, it becomes the Hatfields versus the McCoys, and the guns are drawn. And this only exacerbates the separation. It just, it allows each party to get allies. So, mm-hmm. you know, we can go from a border skirmish to a war. Oh, yeah. And and that's really unfortunate because it, it isolates, and sin in all of its forms isolates uh, that's that's what the devil desires the most and in, in all of these things is isolation i think we've all seen that i know my my closest friend who's dead now uh he and his wife had a very acrimonious di- uh, divorce mm. and it was just it was heartbreaking for me to see it because you know I, I, I just said i love them both yeah well and speaking of acrimony i, I want to comment on something i see a lot social media and i hear a lot too is is uh, people who try to put a happy spin on divorce. So, you know, well, they separated, they got a divorce, but they're really good friends. And, oh, we're getting along mm. so much better than when we were married. And it's like, you know, I just, I, I just kind of want to say, you know, if you get along that well, couldn't you have just gotten along as friends? Yeah, you know, I don't, husband and wife, what does this all mean in the end? It's, it's if you get along that well, why did you even bother to separate? You know, you can just kind of like, you can just like bake low and slow for a while and see how the dish comes out, you know? <laughs> not every, not everything Interesting is Interesting analogy. Se- yeah, I go to barbecue. Not everything is a hot sear, okay? A lot of, you know, the, the best, the best flavors are low and slow. So, you know, we're kind of used to the fires of passion of our youth and, and of, of the early days of our marriage, but, but the bulk of our marriages is lived out low and slow and, and then, you know, those dying embers where the only thing you do is toast marshmallows, but at least you got some mores for dessert so you know what can i say <laughs> but you never, I never get quite there. thought of you, it that way but. you never get there if you keep restarting here's another thing is, is serial marriages you know it's very common today for people to be married three four times okay well you, you never really grow because you're always restarting when you start up with somebody new when you when you uh kindle a new relationship remembering of course that you're still one flesh with so one flesh person you were with 
Um, that brings baggage. There's always baggage. But here's the problem, is that you um, have started over again. And, you know, you can't be forever 18 or forever 21. And, and that's the problem is I think it leads to kind of an emotional immaturity and a very superficial way of loving. And it's a different kind. I mean, you know, I was married to my wife for 32 years. And, I and was, you, you, were, you were married to a woman who was dying at some point, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's not easy to do. I mean, your <laughs> fight or flight is screaming at that point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, th there's nothing in it for you. It's a one-way street. This love has become entirely, you've got to take care of her. But I had promised I had but no choice. I, I, I remember getting into a discussion with my brother about that. He said, well, you made your choice. I said, no, I didn't have a choice. You promised. I promised. In that sickness and in health. I always say to couples, you know, it's the first line of my wedding sermon. You guys have no idea what you're getting into. Mm. You know, you're making these grand promises. Interestingly, we don't promise to love each other until death us do part, because that's, that's a promise we couldn't even begin to keep. But we promise to stick with it. Whether rich or poor, sickness and health, good times, bad times, however it comes, mm -hmm. we're going to stick with it. And that's really the essence of marriage. It's sticking with it and sticking with one another. It is. And, and you get married for different reasons. As you know, I've, I've remarried since. But, you know, being married in your 60s is not the same as when you're in your 20s or 30s. <laughs> and I'm, I'm long past barbecue. my 60s now. I'm, I'm in the I'm second going back to the barbecue analogy again, but it is a little bit like cutting straight for the, the toasted marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the s'mores are pretty good, actually. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah. She's one heck of a cook, i got to tell you that. There you go. <laughs> so... But, you know, it, 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 it comes down to that, is, is that it's, you're not always going to be happy. Uh, you're not always going to be, like, blind, stupid in love. Uh, you're not, mm -hmm. you're, there's all kinds of things, because you're taking on this complex partnership. A marriage is part business. You're, you're running a household. It's like a small business. It's, it's parenting. That's a unique thing in and of itself, the raising of children. It's it's intensely complex, and then it's it's you know interpersonal. You you have somebody you are vulnerable. You you have somebody who knows you intimately, mm. like nobody else in the world does. I mean the the ability to hurt, the ability to you make yourself to, so vulnerable. Yes, yes, yes. And you know one of the problems that that people face when they're ser serially married or don't bother even getting married is that they have learned not to be vulnerable. They've learned to be defensive. They've learned to withhold themselves, mm. see, because they, they're not going to get hurt. And Interesting. This, this is a very dangerous way to live. This is, this is that, that self-turned-in-on-itself malady that is, you know, that, that's, our, that's our, our inheritance from Adam. That's our original sin, turned inward. You know, what God always wants to do is he wants us turned outward. He opens us. Uh, to himself in faith and to the neighbor in agape love. And I have to specify that. Don't necessarily like my neighbor, but love the neighbor, to be open and vulnerable and serving. Uh, but that's that's very, very dangerous. You risk being hurt. You risk being rejected. You risk um, really having yourself trampled. But when you recognize that you do not live, but Christ lives in you, that doesn't matter, see, because you're dead. You've been crucified with Christ. So you got nothing to lose. This well, is what you really pray for for couples when they hit a speed bump in their marriage. 
is that they experience that dying and rising that is ours as Christians. And we're about to hit a speed bump here. Oh, Call the end of the program. The radio speed bump. <laughs> Bill, thanks for joining the program. Hey, great to be with you. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.